He's got that damn card from two years ago in his wallet, and he tells me, he tells people all the time about it. He said, I tell people about that trick all the time. And I, I, I wanted to say to him, why didn't you tell your face? Like, let me know, you know. <laughs> two years ago, you ruined me. Hey, hey, Brian Miller here, and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that every interaction is meaningful and every person we meet is important. Today's guest is Michael Kent, world-class entertainer and self-described comic, magician, and smartass. Michael was my hero as a young, aspiring comedy magician who graciously became a mentor from afar and eventually someone I now call a colleague and a friend. He is one of the most thoughtful and considered artists I know, and this conversation was nothing less than enlightening. We discussed how to handle shame and self-worth as an artist or entrepreneur, how he found a niche in a hyper-competitive field, and, of course, Michael shares his story of a chance encounter with lasting impact. And like everything he does, his story is a brilliant twist on my established format. This conversation lasted for nearly an hour and 20 minutes, so you're getting less than half of it here. Subscribers to the One New Person email list will receive the full, unedited, uncut episode as a bonus in the next few weeks. Sign up at onenewperson.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Michael Kent. Thank you so much for uh, yeah, for being good here. to be here, Brian. Hey, I uh, I have to set the context a little bit because we're sitting in the Columbus Convention Center, which is actually in your hometown. Yeah, yeah, I live ten minutes away from here. That just worked out because you and I see each other usually at most once a year. Sure. And uh, I want I wanted to have you on. I'm so excited that you're able to do it. And then when I was looking at the calendar, thinking about setting up a Skype call to do this, we realized that <laughs> we're both going to be in the same room for a couple of days. Yeah, it works out great. And by room, you mean the biggest convention center ever. <laughs> it is. I have never been in a convention center that you could walk for that long and still be in the same place. It's massive. <laughs> it's massive. And living here... Uh, I don't work here very often. I say that, but I do have an event here next week. But I, I, so I, I never really get to see the expanse of this place. And holy cow. So we've tried to find a place that's quiet, but there are people walking around as we, as we talk. So. Yeah, yeah. For the listener, I'll do my best to denoise any of the background stuff in, uh, in post for this. But so let, let me start the way I always do when I have someone with what I would say is an unusual job. And you and I have a similarly unusual job, which is if you're at a social gathering or you're just meeting someone for the first time and they say, what do you do? I'm a magician. And it's taken me a while to be able to say that. And what I mean by that is there is some sort of weird inherent shame with me calling myself a magician. I don't know where it came from, but uh, when I was a little kid and you asked me what I want to be, I would have said a magician. Once I became a magician, then all of a sudden I wanted to say, well, I'm a comedy magician or I'm a magician for adults. And I was afraid of all the the connotations that someone else might think might put on that. You know, like there's like this preconceived notion of what a magician might be like. Right. A lot of people will say, oh, my six year old would love you, but I don't perform for six year olds. So it doesn't feel comfortable. And then a few years ago, it was here in Columbus. I did a a speed networking event and I treated the whole thing like a uh, social experiment. And I decided, like I thought to myself ahead of time, I said, I'm going to introduce myself as a magician. And instead of saying, I'm a magician, but I'm funny, I would just be a magician and have a conversation with them 
and let them take away from it what they will. So maybe they would go to their friends and say, he was a magician, but he wasn't like the magicians that you might see on TV. He was this or he was that. And let it just be a pure, you know, a pure system of them just deciding who I am. But the most marketable thing about what I am is that I do magic. So, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to take away from that. I, I, had, I had such a similar path. I spent so many years trying to figure out the perfect sentence to explain that I did magic, but only for adults. And then you get into weird, you catch yourself saying weird, like, I'm an adult entertainer. You're like, nope. That's, nope, that's not right. That's, that's, and that I've done, the wrong I've done idea. it yeah. legitimately. You said that at one time, thinking that would be the way to explain what I do. You yeah. know, I've even had it so much so of this, whatever this weird shame is, I've had it so that when I go to get my hair cut, at 2 p.m. on a Monday, when the per person cutting my hair is like, oh, you want a break from work? And instead of having to explain I'm a magician, I will literally make up a fake job <laughs> and treat it like an improv experience, like an like a, you know, like exercise, and say, uh, no, I'm a, you know, and try to come up with the most boring job I can think of. I'm a contractor, I install computers on government buildings you know like so they're not gonna say oh tell me more about that because if i say i'm a comedian the the you know it's tell me a joke and if i say i'm a magician it's show me a trick or my six-year-old loves magic is really into magic or what do you think about america's got talent or any of the conversations that we have so often that to us it's boring but to them it's super exciting and, and new and different how do you navigate that though because i that I feel like that's one of the things that changed for me just in the past few years is that I started to become more, I guess, sympathetic to the the conversation when someone would say, oh, hey, did you see that guy in America's Got Talent? Or did you see the Now You See Me movies? I used to get so frustrated. And I feel like I've started to be a little bit more sympathetic to where, where or empathetic maybe to empathetic, where they're coming sure. from. Yeah, I think that having a beginner's mind is a great place to start with that. And instead of sort of taking it from this point where this is what we do every day and this is what we think about every day, to yeah. put yourself in their shoes, most people don't meet a magician very often. Many of them will meet one in their lifetime. Yeah. And so it's something very exciting for them that uh, when you meet someone from Milwaukee, and they're from Milwaukee, and you've been to Milwaukee, all you want to do is tell them about that exciting thing you did in Milwaukee or the thing that you saw in Milwaukee. And the reason is you're looking for connection and you're looking for common ground. And that's what they're doing with us, except for there's that added element of, this is a glitzy show business sounding job, like it's magic. You know, it's the, it's, we've taken a kid's hobby and turned it into a career. And that's exciting to non-magicians. So when someone says, oh, you should go on America's Got Talent. Now I say thank you. Because to me, what they're really saying is, I appreciate what you do. I think that you're good enough to be on TV like the people that I see on TV. I feel like you're like they are. My old answer to that would have been the truth, which is, yeah, I don't really like the way that they handle magic and magicians. And I've auditioned a couple times and um, they, they keep asking me and they call me every year. And, you know, like I, that's not interesting to them. That's not what they want to hear. Yeah, Saying thank you is, um, you know, anything else is negating their <laughs> feelings, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, you know, thank you. I really appreciate the compliment. You know, I'll, I'll keep that in mind kind of a thing. Yeah. Do, do you feel the need to now that you've been so successful on um, Penn and Teller's Fool Us, do you feel the need to go, well, I really appreciate that. If you're interested, I've been on 
Penn and Teller. You can check that no, out. Um, not always. I mean, if we're talking, if the, if the conversation furthers to like TV magic, then maybe. But I'm, I don't feel the need to like quickly defend myself for not being on America's Got Talent. That, that almost brings me back to where you started with that kind of shame thing, it, it, maybe in a slightly different way, but where you don't have any trouble self-promoting because you've been wildly successful as an entertainer. You have to get good at self-promoting. So where, where does that shame come from? Uh, I th- it's very, that's a very interesting question. I think that most magicians get into magic for a reason that has nothing to do with magic. It has to do with wanting affirmation from our peers. I think that you want to be seen as something different than your friends. And a lot of that comes from, there are some really dark places that that can come from too. Like if you didn't feel like you received enough love or affection from your family or from your friends, or if you're making up for, you know, like a lot of us weren't good at sports. Like, like our friend Derek Hughes says in his act, you know, how do you, how do you become a magician? It's easy. Suck at sports. You know, that's one of his lines. But the, uh, I think the underlying thing there is like, we were looking for attention for a reason that had nothing to do with our necessarily our, like our personality or who we were, our base nature as humans. So there's, to me, there might be a little bit of shame built in that I'm relying on this extra thing outside of my personality in order for you to remember who I am. In college, I was Magic Mike, right? Like long before those movies ever were a thing. Uh, I was Magic. And, And so my friends, I'm still in my college friends' phones as Magic Mike. And there are so many college friends who didn't know me as a person other than I was either the magician at that one house, the, at that well, those one parties, or Magic Mike. And so when I think about, like when we talk about the shame of that, maybe there's a part of me that wishes that these people got to know me as Michael Kent instead of as the magician. I haven't thought about it like that in, in ages. I, I, uh, it's like, that's bringing back both like, like happy and frustrating memories all at the same time. High school, college, I loved being that magic kid. Because I had been unpopular all my life. I had never had any friends, any attention, nobody. And all of a sudden, you know, all the popular kids and all the girls, everybody wanted to be around me. And I, right, and it goes to your head because you think, oh, they want to be around me. But they didn't. They wanted to see magic, right? And, and. Yeah, now I don't want to, yeah, that, when you say it and I hear it, it sounds like we're minimizing this amazing thing that can be part of our personality. Sure. But, uh, and it's not that they didn't want to be around us as people. It's just that we had sort of fooled them into, we had this extra thing that made us more, um, that that we thought was maybe part of our personality or or charisma or something like that. I don't know. Well, I think everyone has that maybe. Maybe it's a thing that everyone has. For some people, it is sports. For some people, it's being funny and telling jokes. Maybe everyone has that and so that uh, it's okay. I don't want to necessarily, it's okay to honor the shame, right? And talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I don't think I want to say that like, it would be better if I didn't have magic as part of my identity to other people. No, for sure. I mean, I, I, I've said this before and I mean it very, very sincerely, even though it can sound kind of like just a line now, which is I, I owe my life to magic. Like, so I don't, I don't want to, to downplay that either. But there are times when, like you said, I wished hey, you're that magic guy wasn't the only thing that people from that era of my life knew about me, that they didn't really know any, and I'm sure that was my fault, is that I didn't make any effort. I probably just leaned into it, right? That, 
Well, I, I can remember, you know, to, to bring up a point you were talking about just a minute ago, like I can remember when I wasn't successful and magic was a thing that I had to promote heavily, like to the whole fake it till you make it thing. Like I can remember having to talk about myself and my achievements almost as if they were greater than they were. It was, and it felt braggadocious at the time, but I was able to excuse it away because it's my job, right? Like this is my job to create this image. And I'm very fortunate that I've gotten to the point now where I've been working for 15 years professionally at this and I can just talk about the things that I'm doing and I don't feel like I have to make them sound grander than they are. I can just talk about what I'm doing. So the place that I'm coming from is, is sort of a privileged spot where I've worked long enough that I can take a minute to say, maybe people can just get to know me for my personality. Or if I was still struggling to like work my way up, I might not have that ability to relax and just say, I just want you to get to know me because I really need people to pay attention to what I'm doing, my art, you know, my work. That word privilege, that's, that's interesting because I feel like especially lately, we, you hear that word attached to a lot of negative conversations a lot, but there's the other the flip side to that word, which is what a pr privilege that I made it out of that, That because yeah. so many entertainers don't. Well, you can, yeah, privilege can be something yeah. that's earned, yeah. and it can also be something that, that is given. Yeah. The important part, part is, I think, to, to recognize it, right? Yeah. To recognize that there are many people that aren't in a spot to where they can have these conversations yeah. they can't it's you know they're, they're if you're still struggling you don't have the ability to decide some of these yeah. nuanced little things you about how to do talk I want to about yourself myself. as a magician yeah. and tell people about your work and hand out your business cards and to get to the place where you can afford to not talk about or think about yourself in that way all the time you have to do that stuff first you have to get to a point where your career is relatively okay. I think you and I are both yeah. on the on the introvert extrovert scale. We're both sliding around, right? Oh yeah. I, I get that from you. Like yeah. I think like I'm I've never identified as an introvert or an extrovert. Yeah. When I'm working, I'm very extroverted, but a lot of time in my personal life I feel very introverted. Yeah. Other times in my personal life I feel extroverted and when I'm working I feel introverted. It's kind of all over the place. I'm never the life of a party. So I, I never have been. Yeah. Well, I was in college, but I really forced it. And, you know, I would well, be because, in my because element. Was, but that was working, right? That, it that, felt, yeah, yeah right, kind right. of. It's like, a, <laughs> right. so, I, you know, the, the introvert extra thing, extrovert thing is a sliding scale. And when it comes to promoting myself in social media, I've often said, if I quit magic tomorrow, then two days from now or that day tomorrow, I'm deleting all my social media and never having to do it. And I'd be right behind you. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like I say that, but I know that there's a lot of like guilty pleasure in that connection and being connected to people and telling people what I'm doing and a little bit of vanity with that. Yeah. Um, but because of the fact of our job and what we do, it does get to be to like feel like an obligation. I actually want to follow up on the social media thing because you're activity on social media is unlike most entertainers, at least the ones that I'm connected with. And I've always been curious about that. You are maybe the most vocally, openly opinionated entertainer, public entertainer that I know on social media in terms of when you have opinions and you have very strong opinions on social issues, political issues, 
you are aggressively, I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but you are very vocal about those opinions in a field where I think most entertainers shy away from saying anything that could go too far in either direction publicly for fear of losing potential clients or, or, or fans. Man, and you this, have had some trouble with that. And this goes right back to privilege. You know, I'm in a position where I can speak my mind and not worry about it too much. I've got a lot of work. I can tell you off the top of my head, two corporate clients, not big corporate clients, little corporate clients, like local companies that probably haven't continued booking me because one of the members there is friends with me on Facebook and they've seen that my political views don't align with theirs. And then I go to their Facebook page and they're very publicly outspoken about their political views. You know what I mean? But that said, it's also important to me that my fans have an outlet to be able to appreciate my work without that. So I'm very uh, particular about where I post my opinions. So for me, I've written it up in my head, like this is how it goes, Twitter and my personal Facebook page, or profile, excuse me, my personal Facebook profile, those two areas, I will speak my mind. You know, if you wanna know what Michael Kent thinks about politics or social issues or whatever it might be, that's where I'll talk about it. The same as talking about my dogs or my wife or whatever, you know. But if you wanna just appreciate Michael Kent, the magician, the artist, you go to the Facebook page and you are become a fan on the Facebook page. Um, and my Instagram, my Instagram isn't political at all, in the least. It's just travels, shows, uh, it's still entertaining, there's still content there, but there's not gonna be these back and forth. Because, you know, for one, Instagram doesn't lend itself to that. Sure. Um, and for two, I think it's nice that I can offer that to someone who just says, man, I just wanna pay attention to your magic, but I don't want any of that other stuff. Right. And, and you and I have been in a uh, huge agreement uh, on social media because I'm super vocal about um, being a in, completely in favor of the PC movement kind of ever since it started where I've been I've been really frustrated by so many entertainers that w for some reason they they want to keep slamming their fists on the table and saying I you know I should be allowed to do these jokes I've been doing forever. Everybody has always laughed at them and now they're complaining and they just need to grow up and get a sense of humor. And I just keep saying to these people like in private, like, first of all, why do you want to do jokes that they're not laughing at and people are getting angry about you saying? Why is that a thing you want to do? Well, to what end? The first part of that, that they're not, the thing about they're not laughing, the problem is that people do laugh at shock humor. It's not everyone. You might have part of the, uh, you know, a third of the audience have this like almost like a shock, nervous laugh, chuckle or whatever. But then the part of the audience that's deeply offended or that just thinks that it's like out of bounds or whatever, it's an equal and opposite reaction kind of. My, my thing about PC culture is I, I, I say this quote all the time, um, but it's when someone complains about PC culture, my first question is, what is it that you want to say that PC culture keeps you from saying? And it's usually something incredibly shitty, whether it be derogatory toward a group of people, racist, whatever it's going to be. It's, it's always something shitty. That said, I'm also frustrated by that becoming so wrapped up in with like politics that we're having to like choose sides. And then if you're on our side, you have to believe in all this stuff all the way. And there are things that middle America 
isn't okay with yet, like the idea of genderless babies. If you bring that up in middle America, like a lot of people aren't on board with that. And you can have a debate about that. Obviously, I'm not in your podcast to talk about that. But it reminds me of uh, there's an entertainer in the college market that just had a scathing article written about them because they used a lot of like heteronormative situations in their act. One of those things was that they used the phrase you guys a lot. And the article was ripping them apart because that's not an inclusive statement. And I think that that's ridiculous. I think that colloquially, everyone recognizes that you guys isn't, a, isn't meant to be an exclusive statement to only men. It's a familiar phrase that a lot of people use to mean a group of people. But maybe in 10 years, maybe that's where this whole, maybe when society shifts to say that you guys isn't <laughs> okay, then maybe. But right now, every group of people can say you guys, and it doesn't mean men. Maybe there's a part of me that says that because I'm afraid that I say you guys a lot and I'm not ready to change. Uh, when I talk to people who don't know this world of performing in colleges and I tell them I'm performing in colleges, their first assumption is, oh, you must perform for like drunk people all the time. Because when sober. you say college to people, like that's what they remember. And it's like the opposite of that. You know, we're kind of the, we're the, the thing that they use to keep students on campus and go, keep them from going out and partying and drinking and stuff. I never really felt like it was like that. Now, in terms of eccentricity and weirdness, maybe there, you know, like yeah. there's a little bit more freedom. But I don't think that it ever was a thing where I just felt like I could just go willy-nilly and like drop F-bombs and, and come up in, with, you know, talk about content that was like heavy sexual content and stuff like that. I never really felt that in the colleges. In fact, I've always thought that I got away with a little bit more in colleges than what I've sh what I should have been able to I in terms to ask of you edge. About that. So for the listeners who are not familiar with your work, that was something I wanted to ask you about. So go go for it. Explain well, that. Well, my my moniker that I adopted really early on in this work is comic magician smartass. And just that is enough some schools kind of shy away from that. They, um, they won't, I, I've always offered two posters, one that says comic magician, smartass, and one that says comedian and magician. And, you know, so they can put up the one that they want. And then I show up at the school and if I see the one that they've put up that says comedian and magician, I know to tone it down a little bit in terms of language and things like that, you know. And the worst language we're talking about is I call a guy a dick, I say, holy shit, I say, you know, I speak the way that I would in real life. Yeah. But I'm not up there like the content isn't crazy. I'm not. It's a magic show. So you can't get too crazy with it. Um, at one point in the show, uh, you know, I would have a girl on stage that would stick her hand up the ass of a rubber chicken while Let's Get It On starts playing. And to give you an example of how stuff has changed, I never ran into trouble. I never had anyone say that that was inappropriate or anything. But I started probably four or five years ago. I started always using a, a male for that trick instead of a female. So it's a guy sticking his hand up a chicken's butt with let's get it on, start playing. And the reason is I, n I do not want it to look like I'm sexually harassing someone on stage or doing, putting someone in a, a position that's really inappropriate or uncomfortable for them on stage. And that's especially true as the older I get, the, the more difference there is in years between me and the college students. I think that there's more of an opportunity for innocent things to look creepy. And so I want to be real careful about that type of thing. That said, you know, I've talked to other entertainers who were like, I don't know how you 
have become so successful doing an act that you've promoted as being like an edgier magic show? I don't know either. I honestly have no idea how I've done it or why I've done it. I made the decision long ago that I didn't have to work clean all the time, that I could speak as myself unless it was, you know, unless it wasn't a, a situation where it wouldn't be appropriate. Like if I'm performing for a siblings weekend at a college, I know what I have to do, you know, and I'm responsible with that. I do the same show I would do for a corporate event or for a cruise ship where you have to be squeaky clean. I'd love to get back to, I think, the, the core thread, because you said something just a little while ago, which was that, that you, you don't know how you've been so successful. But in my experience, and of course the whole point of this show, is that most people who are successful are successful because they've learned to connect with people. They've built a community of people that trust them. The theme of the show is chance encounters, lasting impact. Do you have a story or some stories that come to mind whether it's professionally or personally or both? Can I tell you? A, yeah. A, so this is a time when I didn't connect with someone. Please. That would um, be a first for the show, and yeah. I think this would be great to hear. But, well, there's, and there's a happy ending um, to this. What happened was, this was, uh, this was early in my career. I was asked to perform for the president of a big transportation company that was, they had a big plant in my hometown but the president was coming in and they asked me to perform for the CEO and all of the upper executives of this major company, Fortune 500 major transportation company. And I was a little nervous. In fact, I turned down uh, several other pretty good gigs to do this gig. And I did the best close-up magic trick for him and his executives around him that I could, which is I, he signs a, a playing card that card ends up folded up into a little square in the toe of my shoe, as if by magic. I showed it to him, that moment of wow, when I unfold it, I was ready to go. He took the card, he turned away from me and continued a conversation with his executives, as if I wasn't even there and as if I hadn't just done something incredibly impossible. And I was like shattered because this was the one person in this whole room that I wanted to connect with. The one person that I wanted to leave talking about me and my act and you know, being able to be on a first name basis with this guy and all these things where like, I had these dreams of this walking in here, like, oh, the CEO is gonna be here, this is a huge company, I'm gonna connect with him, I'm gonna blow him away, and he's gonna leave talking about my magic, and I just blew my shot with the best thing I know how to do. So I continued to perform for the other people that night, doing strolling magic, walking around, and was like incredibly dejected and just wrote it off. Maybe he hates magic. Maybe he was embarrassed. I'm trying to go through all of the rationalizations in my head. Two years later, that's when we came to Columbus when we were in this convention center and it was the same company hired me back. And that same guy was there. The CEO comes up to me, grabs me by the shoulder, calls me by name, says, Michael, I wanna show you something. Pulls out his wallet He's got that damn card from two years ago in his wallet, and he tells me, he tells people all the time about it. He said, I tell people about that trick all the time. And I, I, I wanted to say to him, why didn't you tell your face? Like, let me know, you know. <laughs> two years ago, you ruined me. And he didn't say anything. I was just gracious. And I said, oh, that's so awesome. You know, and, and I, I do have a, quite a bit of people that 
that if I've done that shoe trick for them, they keep the card and it's crazy because it was literally in my shoe and disgusting. And, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and I tell them how it blows me away that people love this card that was in my shoe. But the lesson there for me was that I could be making an impact on someone and have no clue. I could have no idea that I'm making an impact on someone because I don't know how you react to things. I don't, if I don't know you, I don't know how you react to things. And maybe he was, maybe it took him a while to process it. Maybe that's how he reacts to things. I don't know, but I never discount a quiet audience because of this. It's in my head, literally when there's a quiet audience, that story and that memory is in my head still. And this was years ago. This was probably 15, 20 years ago that this happened. So I, I try not to judge any one reaction of magic or any person based on the reaction, because it could be just they don't know how to react. Pete Holmes has this amazing magic uh, comedy bit, I mean, about magicians, how there isn't an inbuilt reaction to magic like there is with comedy. You laugh, you know, and you see he, that you will have to Google Pete Holmes it's magic. It's one of my favorite bits. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a fantastic video. Bit, right? <laughs> um, but... I'll but that's the, true. I'll, I'll put that video in the show notes. Of this that, so that'd be great. Watch. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's one of the. It, it's so true. There is no, there is no automatic reaction to magic. You know, I was obviously made an impact on that man, and I didn't even know it. That's that's so crazy. Because what if you hadn't bumped into him, right? You would have gone on continuing to think that you just blew this this big chance, and and so. I love that story because that's that's the other side. I, I, I a lot of the stories that we we get on on you know on, on this show is is about when you know someone um, made an impact on you. You know, you met someone randomly and it impacted your life and what was that? But I think it's really important for us to all remember the flip side, which is that every single person we interact with we might have an impact on them having no idea, which means it could go positive or negative, right? Sure. And everyone's a blank slate, even if you're just here's three dollars you give me a cup of coffee end of transaction kind of a thing that can go positive or negative and being i think being aware of that when i started to really realize that just a few years ago mm -hmm. like it changed my daily life so profoundly there's also something to it that in the face of this idea that you have three seconds to make an impression on someone and then whatever that impression is is permanent that feels like so much pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What if, you know, how many times have you had a bad impression of someone, but then gone on to really appreciate that person? Sure. You know, uh, I have a lot of people in my life that are that way. We're like, man, I really didn't like that person until I got to know them. Yeah. I think that our connections with people are, are always evolving. And whenever, you know, I, I could have judged this CEO... <laughs> You know, not like this is a guy I'm going and having coffee with every week, but this, I could have gone, like, said, oh, that guy's a jerk. But instead, I just kind of forgot about it. And he gave me a gift two years later that I didn't know he was, you know, I didn't know that he was carrying this memory around. And that that's sort of an evolving connection, you know. Next time I see him, maybe he'll forget me again. It's still evolving. Who knows? But the first impression's important but it's not everything. You always have an opportunity to, to be present with someone and be whoever you are right now, rather than this idea of who, you're, who you have to be based on however you 
got off on the wrong foot or however. I've, you know, I've had a few, especially from the early days where, you know, not every show went well, you know. Remember, the, remember the early days when you didn't do You've done restaurant magic, right? Oh, I, I did it until two years ago. I sure. still maintain some restaurants. Here in Columbus, I used to do four nights a week doing restaurants. This was before, so I left that to do a day job for a while. I was a marketing director. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then um, this was before, you know, I, I left to do magic. But whenever I was doing restaurant magic, you get rejections from people. <laughs> all, all night. You go up to strangers who just want to eat their salad <laughs> and you're asking them if they do magic and they'll say, no, thank you. It's really awkward. <laughs> it's really, really difficult. And it's demoralizing yeah. too. It just deflates you. Oh yeah. Um, and I can remember having to learn how to deal with that because especially if I ended the night on one of those, which I have done, you know, I'm there from seven to 10 and that very last table, it might be, you know, a bachelorette party of like 12 crazy drinking women. And you go up to them and they're like, oh, no, we don't want to see magic. <laughs> and then I got to go get in my car and drive home. Like, that's the worst feeling. You want everyone to love you. you know? do, do you remember the reaction when you go up? I, I, I remember going up to like a um, like a, a couple maybe in their 50s or something, just a couple. And like, oh, I'm going to give them this really nice experience, right? You go up and I'd have, and I'd say, I'm the magician. Would you like to see some magic while you wait for your meals? And she'd be like, oh, go find the kids and kind of hand yeah, wave you on your, yeah, yeah. you don't, you want to go, no, I'm not a, and to that earlier conversation sure. we had, but you can't, you can't, you just have to go, okay, enjoy your evening. No, no problem. You know, and that you walk away going, I wish I could have changed her mind about magic. Don't you just sometimes feel like, and then you I have, have to represent all magicians, every person you meet. Yeah, you're going to be the one to change them. <laughs> yeah, and then I have memories of also walking up to a table and then, you know, asking them if I can bring out more ketchup, where they just assume that I'm the server or work oh, yeah. at the manager or whatever, you know. Oh, it's that I wasn't one of those guys that wore the name tag that says, I'm Magic Mike, ask me to do magic. You know, I just really wanted to blend in. Not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone likes you, what you do, and it's not your job to make everyone like you. You know, just be yourself, do your thing, let your work sell itself, let your work speak for itself, and the people that are meant to appreciate you will appreciate you. And that's a true system, that's honest. And when you realize that, you can take a breath and relax. And it's still difficult. We want everyone to love us. That's why we started doing this in the first place. We want everyone to love us and pay attention to us. But when you realize that that is just not going to happen for some people, and that's okay, and leave room for that, um, I've been able to relax so much more. And you can apply that to so many other things. You know, not every job is meant to be your job. Not every gig is meant to be your gig. Not every house is meant to be your house. It's okay uh, to just be where you are and, and make room for that. I've only been, it's, you know, I've been doing this, for, I've been touring for 15 years, and I'd say the last two I've been able to remember that. You see that one person in the audience who's not into it? Not for them. Stop trying to focus your whole energy on this one person who's not into it because that's selfish. You're losing everybody else here who's into it while you're it desperately trying to pull this one person. Yeah, It's not for you. Leave them alone. Totally. Just do it for the people who are there. And, the, and when you do that, the people who are there for you will find you and they will love you. Yeah. 
And that's why I can keep talking politics on Facebook. <laughs> so listen, before, before we completely wrap this up, I have to say something uh, to you personally, because I discovered you, which sounds like a weird thing to say to a person in, in real life, but like I discovered you as your character, right? As a performer. When I was probably 18, like freshman year of college, and I was starting to think about, I'm already doing magic, getting paid since I was 16, thinking maybe I'll do this someday, maybe not, and all that. I had never done any comedy at all. And I, your video, probably early days of YouTube, it was the video of, this was like 2007 maybe, it was the video of you where you you signed the big card. Remember? Oh boy, yeah. Before, it was like the earliest version of the chicken trick sure. maybe, right? I can tell you where, where that video was from. That yeah, was Kent I, and State I remember you were, still, you were wearing like, like dress clothes, which you don't wear anymore on stage. You hadn't settled into like your authentic self or anything. Yeah, right, early days. And you were so funny. I remember just watching it over and over and over again. And it was the first time I realized you could not, you could be funny as a magician. I never had put those two together. I, I knew comedians because I was doing stand-up comedy and I was doing magic and I was doing them separately and it had never occurred to me you could be funny as a magician. I don't know why. And that's what set me on that path. And I remember going, I want to be like that guy. And I reached out to you at some point, probably my sophomore or junior year and I don't know, early early days of, you know, no social media yet. Was Facebook I nice? was really new. You, of course okay. you were. So I reached out. I couldn't believe, I, I felt like I was reaching out to a celebrity. You were, you had videos on the internet. I reached out to you and you emailed back. I said, I was, a, I was 19 and I was trying to be a comedy magician and, you know, can I get some advice? And, and you had this email correspondence back and forth about what it's like to be an entertainer and professional and all the advice you gave me, I followed and I, I got, you know, landed, got signed to Neon Entertainment, my agency and when I was still a senior in college, I've been with them for 10 years now. I built my whole, this whole global career that I built was with them, but I got to them from advice you gave me via email. And I was just some random kid, I'm sure, to you that was just reaching out. And because you did that, I respond to every single email, message, text, phone call that any magician, younger magician, aspiring magician, entertainer, comedian has ever sent me. I've gotten on the phone for an hour with random people I've never heard of. I've always done that because you did that for me and it changed, it, it set me off on this path. Well, that's awesome so to I'm, hear, man. Yeah. And uh, it's it's been neat to follow you, uh, you know, as you've sort of found your own thing because it takes hundreds of shows, maybe thousands of shows to find it. Yeah. And uh, it's neat to see you settling into like what it is that your passion is. Thanks, man. So, yeah. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for, uh, no for spending all the time. Yeah, this is absolutely. Great. This is great. Yeah, it's cool to just talk, yeah. <laughs> Before you Google, quote, Michael Kent chicken trick, here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, we are all experts of our own lives. To connect better with others, adopt a beginner's mindset. Second, the culture is changing, and the line between our professional and personal lives is easy to blur. Create clear and hard distinctions between the two, for your sake and your audience's. Finally, don't be too quick to judge people. First impressions are important, but they're not binding, or at least they don't have to be. Stay present and allow your relationships to develop. You just might be making an impact without even realizing it. Links to Michael's website and YouTube channel are in the show notes on onenewperson.com, plus his pen and teller appearance and related links from the episode. Don't forget to sign up for the email list at onenewperson.com for the full, unedited conversation. I'm Brian Miller. 
This is One New Person, and we'll see you next time.